lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to uh, the Steve Dace Show. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. A show named after me. Not because I've got a huge ego, but couldn't think of anything else. Todd Erzin is here, as well as Aaron McIntyre. You calling me out for that? You think that, that, that I could have thought of something else? I just chose not to? No, about the huge ego part. Oh. <laughs> nice. Let us know what you think about what you... Now I'm thrown off. Let us know what you think about what we think. Thank you. Uh, Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show or just go to places that will not attempt to censor us. MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Look for Steve Dace there. Steve Dace Show on Getter. Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. That's where you can go to watch clips of the program for free that are also free of censorship at Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. want to welcome a brand new partner to the program here today, ZStack. For those of you that don't know what that is, um, listen, over the last two years, if we have learned anything, over these last 23 months. It is that we cannot trust the mainstream system for real and true information. And unlike what Don Lemon wants us to do, we actually do need to do our own research. So this was the Z-Stack first formulated by Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. If you know that name, maybe you've heard his name on Glenn Beck show recently. Uh, he also treated uh, President Trump with an early treatment protocol uh, when he had COVID uh, in 2020. This has been used thousands of times. Uh, in fact, um, I just next day aired to a buddy of mine uh, out of state who has been down with COVID for over a week. Uh, I just next day aired him a bottle of this. Okay. That, so um, this is not the protocol that I used to treat my Omicron uh, recently, uh, but um, it is very similar to it. Uh, in fact, it's a lot of the same things. Uh, and Zelenko is really one of the pioneers where this is concerned. Um, if scientifically formulated, ZMP certified, kosher, everything you're looking for. Uh, and it's produced right here in the USA. The zinc, vitamin D, C, quercetin, everything you're looking for uh, for an effective early treatment protocol against COVID. Uh, you can take control of your health and your family's health right now. All right. And get a discount on your first order. When you go to ZStack, Z as in the letter, ZStack for life, I'm sorry, ZStackLife.com, ZStackLife.com slash Dace. Enter the promo code Dace there in order to take advantage of uh, our promo code to get a discount. So ZStackLife.com slash Dace, use the promo code Dace there. So if you're in one of those 15 states, for example, that seven cells cannot uh, deliver to, because I think it's in 35 states. Um, if, if, you're concerned about uh, taking too many things uh, all at one time uh, and managing those sorts of things. Or if you're like, hey, this was good enough for President Trump, it probably is good enough for me. Whatever you're looking for, I've been on you guys now for months to make sure you're prepped with early treatment protocols and they're getting more expensive the more and more they black market them, okay? So again, zstacklife.com slash dace, use the promo code dace, to get a discount to get yours today. I've, I've heard, I can't tell you from how many people I have heard from, not just that know someone, somebody um, or a, they themselves had a loved one that perished unnecessarily in our medical system from COVID. I'm, I've talked about that 
but but I've also heard from a ton of people who took our admonition to get the early treatment protocols they needed seriously, got them, and came out uh, on the other side. So please, um, I mean, it literally could be a matter of life or death, all right? ZStackLife.com slash Dace. Enter the promo code Dace for the discount. All right, coming up on the show here today, uh, we're going to begin... Uh, our series that's going to last maybe the entire year on Theology Thursday, doing recon on the spirit of the age. And we're going to begin by doing a study each week on Scott Atlas's new book, A Plague Upon Our House, uh, looking at uh, his time fighting back against COVID stand both in and out of the Trump White House. We're going to go over the introduction and the first chapter today. And boy, howdy, is that this book is everything I was hoping it was going to be so far. And there is, there is, and if, I mean, if you wanted to do like, um, uh, I'm talking like Exodus level of spies, okay, where Moses sends the spies into Canaan, into the promised land, where this has already in these first two chapters already. There is a treasure trove of things to unpack and learn about how the spirit of the age operates and and is still operating. I mean, there's news today. I mean, last week, Pfizer's horse doctor told you their shots don't work against Omicron. He told us this. Correct. That's why they're coming up with a new one, which will be out sometime in February. And if you look at the Omicron Omicron, uh, case, uh, if you look at the Omicron case trend, uh, it's going to be irrelevant by then. Yet, despite that, Anthony Fauci comes out and tells you today, "Hey, any day, pretty soon, you're going to be able to inject your, uh, you know, uh, toddlers with an experimental substance that does not work anymore." So, I mean, it's it's still on from as far as the spirit of the age is concerned. All right, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. That'll be next hour. Also next hour, three non-political questions. At the bottom of this hour, the newly COVID-positive congressman from Kentucky, Thomas Massey, will join us. So we all have something in common there. We'll get into that. Uh, But before we get into all of those zany hijinks, uh, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the greatest press conference in the history of press conferences. Joe Biden had one yesterday and his sycophants in the media were quick to tell us how great it actually was. To go for an hour and 50 minutes, hour and 45 minutes and not screw up, really demonstrably not screw up really at all. It's really hard to do that. But the best answer was, hey, if you think I'm senile and I'm doddering, you get up here and try to do an hour and 45 minutes in front of you and your colleagues and not screw up. He didn't. I thought it was the best demonstration of the fact that the president's mind is perfectly fine. OK, let's check the tape. School reopenings or closures become a potent midterm issue for Republicans to win back the suburbs. Oh, I think it could be. But I hope in God that they're uh, that. Look. Maybe I'm kidding myself. But as time goes on, the voter who is just trying to figure out, as I said, how to take care of their family, put three squares on the table, stay safe, be able to pay their mortgage or their rent, et cetera, uh, is becoming much more informed on the... um, the motives of um, some of the political 
players and some of the and the political parties. And I think that they are not going to be as susceptible to believing some of the outlandish things that have been said and continue to be said. He also rolled out the red carpet for Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine. So I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. And question the legitimacy of the upcoming election. Do you still believe the upcoming election will be fairly conducted and its results will be legitimate? Well, it all depends on uh, whether or not we're able to make the case to the American people that some of this is being set up to try to alter the outcome of the election. Finally, Biden was asked why he thinks it is most of the country, including Democrats, believe he's not mentally fit. I have no idea. Yes, sir. This morning, it was revealed the White House is embarking on a propaganda effort to celebrate Biden's first year in office by painting the airwaves with a Tom Hanks narrated video promoting a recovering America. Here's a preview. Hello, I'm Tom Hanks. The U.S. government has lost its credibility, so it's borrowing some of mine. Moving on, the Democratic effort to nationalize elections failed in the U.S. Senate yesterday after efforts to change the rules on the filibuster went down in flames thanks to Democrat Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. Alabama Crimson Tide head coach Nick Saban was among those who signed onto a letter supporting the Democrats' efforts to nationalize elections because reasons. Democrat strategist and pundit Robert Reich tweets, Tonight, Republican senators lined up to shake Kirsten Sinema's hand. Democratic senators should have given her the backs of their hands. The Supreme Court yesterday ruled the January 6th committee can have access to presidential documents from the Trump White House surrounding the events at the Capitol on that day. Justice Brett Kavanaugh, a Trump appointee, wrote the opinion in the case which will allow Democrats more fodder to smear the former prez. Reuters fact-checked, despite repeated misinformation being shared online about the Great Reset, this sustainability plan proposed by the World Economic Forum is not a secret plot to end private property or create a totalitarian state. Read more here. In other news, at yesterday's House GOP leadership press briefing, Congressman Jim Jordan had this to say. Uh, two years ago this month, Dr. Fauci has put on notice that the virus most likely came from a lab that was doing gain-of-function research. He gets a letter uh, on January 31st, 10.32 p.m. 2020, he gets an email, excuse me, from Dr. Christian Anderson that says, the virus looks engineered, virus not consistent with evolutionary theory. Dr. Fauci goes into complete overdrive to cover this information up and not present it to the American people. He organizes a conference call the next day with Fauci, Collins, and 11 virologists from around the world on that call. Mr. Gary, Dr. Gary on that call says this, I don't know how this happens in nature, but it would be easy to do in a lab. Four days later, those people who express those sentiments start to change their position. They write a piece in Nature Medicine magazine on February 16th. It first gets published online. That piece is then cited on February 9th, 2020 in the now famous letter in the Lancet that becomes the gospel that this thing, according to Fauci and this group, didn't come from a lab. All that happens in 20 days. So they go from this thing looks engineered this thing is not consistent with evolutionary theory. This thing could not have happened in nature. This thing would be easy to do in a lab to completely change in their position. And here's the kicker. 
The two guys who said those things, Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary, three months later get rewarded with an $8.9 million grant from Dr. Fauci to continue to do research on coronavirus. Jordan has indicated in recent days a formal investigation into the origins of COVID-19 will be opened if the House flips to Republican control later this year. A new CDC study has found natural immunity is far superior to so-called vaccinated immunity. The study released yesterday states, quote, similar to the early period of this study, two previous U.S. studies found more protection from vaccination than from previous infection during periods before Delta predominance. As was observed in the present study after July, recent international studies have also demonstrated increased protection in persons with previous infection with or without vaccination relative to vaccination alone, end quote. And that's what happened while we were away. Here's Montage brought to you by Tommy John. You know, this year's Valentine's gifts are as easy as keep it simply soft or kiss with new loungewear pajamas and underwear from our friends over at Tommy John. Uh, They are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I can personally attest to it because it's all I wear. I think they are great and I can't give it a better endorsement other than they gave me the first few pairs to try it out for free. And I've gone back at least four other times out of my own pocket to buy more of their stuff. That's how good it is. And that's why Tommy John doesn't just have customers. They have fanatics uh, and they have an insane amount of five-star reviews, et cetera, return customers. It's a great Valentine's Day gift that you guys can join together. Soft, tri-blend, micromodal fabrics, four-way stretch. I don't know what a lot of those things mean, but I do know that they feel really good because that's why I wear that stuff all the time. All right, that's why they've also sold over 17 million pairs of underwear for men and women alone. All right, so get 20% off your first order today. When you go to TommyJohn.com slash Steve, that's 20% off your first order today right now at TommyJohn.com slash Steve to get 20% off at TommyJohn.com slash Steve. In the overtime today, uh, we will be discussing uh, Nick Saban's concerns for voter rights, or is it really concerns for trying to recruit Um, um, a lot of uh, uh, black athletes who have been completely and totally worked over uh, by a lot of the sources they go to for information that America is still in 1965. Which one of those two things is it? Mm -hmm. Because I'm I'm kind of thinking, kind of thinking, it's at least slightly leaning to the latter. I'm kind of thinking that. All right, but we'll get into that today in the overtime. Uh, We will record it right after today's show. Uh, And then you'll be able to, if you are a Blaze TV uh, subscriber, you'll be able to watch it later today after we upload it for you. You'll be able to watch it on demand at blazetv.com slash dace. And that's also where you can go if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber to become one and get a discounted rate at blazetv.com slash dace. Let's go to uh, Aaron's uh, montage and um, another brick in the wall. I'm, this is going to be fascinating to watch. I got into this a little bit yesterday during buy, seller, hold. What is it? What is transpiring right now, and will continue to transpire as the political system is like, oh bleep, stop this train, we've got to get off, and is and is putting all of the pieces in place to build up a narrative that would allow them to land on the aircraft carrier like George W. Bush and and pronounce mission accomplished 
And then, you know, we've got like um, uh, 10 more years of insurgencies we've got to put down in that country because we, you know, didn't know what the hell we were doing, right? Remember that? Okay. But they're setting up a narrative where they can do that on March 1 with Biden's State of the Union. Or at the very least, lay out benchmarks for how spring and summer is going to be so much better because of the current trend lines. They're working it. They are, I promise you they are working this angle. It is not that they just have just suddenly discovered all of this information, folks. I promise you they're not two years behind the Steve Day show. I promise you they're not. I know you said I've got a healthy ego earlier, Todd. It ain't that healthy, okay? As I've said before on this program, it is not that I believe I know more about it, more, I know more than Anthony Fauci that bothers me so much. It's the fact that I don't. It's that I know that I don't. And yet his narratives are so easy to undermine and, de- and deconstruct and expose. Why? Well, because they're fake. They're false. They're lies. So it's not like they didn't know for the last 23 months the whole with and from COVID thing. It's, like they, it's not like they did not know this. It's not like they just came upon these international studies on natural immunity and decided, you know, we should maybe take a look at that here in the States. Boy, howdy. What a great idea. Got some free time. You know, they just went over there, man. Smoke them if you got them. Like that scene in, um, uh, what's the, uh, the, the, Vince, the Vince Vaughn movie where they play, uh, they play NHL hockey and they're just, uh, is it swingers, oh, swingers I'm thinking of? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, like they're just sitting around, you know, playing NHL uh 22 and then in the, you know after, you know after like seven hours in a row someone got up and said hey dog what do you think about checking out natural immunity oh snap i can't believe we didn't think about that no 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 nope it's not like they did not know these things that they're suddenly telling us are true when we couldn't say them before or we were threatened with being deplatformed or we hated grandma this isn't new they are, they are refurbishing here in real time a narrative. And it is a narrative for an off-ramp. They want off the ramp. They want off. Now, we are talking about leftists. Their version of getting off the ramp may not necessarily be the same as ours, okay? But they want off this. And they're building a narrative to do it. But they have a problem. And the problem is, the more I think about it, that Paul Begala was right the other day. If the Democrat leaders are like, this thing's outused its usefulness. We got her done. We did the thing. Okay. And first rule of assassination is what? Uh, kill the assassins. So time to move on. Cool. The problem is though, within the ranks of their followers is a cult that doesn't want to let this go. That isn't just a simp for the spirit of the age. That isn't just saying and doing things in order to get elected or to get power or to enrich themselves, but is bought in. They're they're hopelessly devoted here. This is their religion. They're not simps. This is their salvation. And it is going to be damned interesting these next few weeks. 
to continue to watch these twin dynamics play themselves out. It's a little bit like if 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 Isengard counted the amount of troops outside their city walls and were like, you know, um, Saruman is all like, you know, on second thought, you guys might have some some good points here. Let let let's 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 talk about this because it's his gates that are surrounded right now, <laughs> right? Not Mordor's. Mordor's gates aren't surrounded. His are. So their followers' gates, they don't care if their kids are home from school. They hate their kids. That's even if they have them, haven't killed them yet, before they were even born. Or they're happy to have them be experimental lab rats. They don't care. All right? They don't care. But if, if, you're, the, if you're the 80-year-old House speaker that in the, midst, in, the, in, the, in the early days of a lockdown is going on national television to flash your imported ice cream stash, you care. All right? You care. Okay, because you don't really mean all that kind of Spartan utilitarian kind of stuff. Uh, you just want your stock portfolio to be more impressive than Trump's. You, you're, that's what you're into. You care. And you're happy cynically using all this stuff to do it to do the deed. You're fine with it, but you're not really as you're not really totally devoted to it. The problem is, y'all have been so, they've been too damn good with their own propaganda. And now too many of their own people are buying into it. And it is going to be very interesting to watch this play out. Because it's going to play out. They are building a narrative to get the hell off of here. Maybe not like, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, Joe Biden's going to sound like Ron DeSantis in six weeks. I'm just saying it's going to look a lot different than what it has looked like. And it started the day after Christmas. We have to learn to live with COVID. There is no federal solution to get to zero COVID. And it's just continued since then. So watching them attempt to triangulate this story politically, while a not insignificant portion of their base is, is, is in full sprockets mode. Love my monkey. Touch it. Love my monkey. This is going to be interesting to watch. And we're going to get a front row seat because it's going down. It's going down right now. It's already happening. So this will be interesting. I was very impressed with that clip from Jim Jordan. And I don't know. Is there something wrong with me? I did not expect to be impressed. Glenn Youngkin came out today with his COVID protocols. It's basically just a rip and read of... Ron DeSantis's and our colleague Chris Pandolfo is like, well, he doesn't have to run for re-election, and, and DeSantis has already blazed this trail, so it's not brave. He's just doing the politically smart thing. I'm like, you're right, Chris. There's also what? What is it? 28, 31 Republican governors, something like that. How many of them could also the governors of Idaho, all kinds of Republican Alabama places where Democrats couldn't get elected dog catcher? They could have been following the trail Ron DeSantis has blazed for the last year too. Have they done so? No. No. So maybe I am now at the, if at first you don't succeed, lower your standards moment. All right. Maybe I have been, maybe I'm softening now in my older age, but I did not expect to be impressed with Glenn Youngkin early. And I am. I was very impressed with that dot connecting there from Jim Jordan. 
And it does lend me, it does confirm for me something I have mentioned before about this upcoming election. I don't believe that I don't believe they will substantively fight Biden on anything to alter their policy trajectory because it would require some form of a shutdown and Republicans have already shown they don't have the balls for that, right? Mm-hmm. But remember what I've, I said before. They know they have to give us something. They can't just go up there and do failure theater because they don't have a candidate. The closest thing they have to a candidate is Nikki Haley. I'm talking about 2024. That's the closest thing they have to a candidate. And like in 2004 or eight, we would have thought Nikki Haley was like, you know, one of the conservatives. Okay. That's the closest thing they have to a candidate. They don't have a McCain, a Romney. They don't have that level of candidate waiting in the wings. And right now, if I had to lay odds, provided no everybody's healthy, 60% odds that Donald Trump is the 2024 nominee, 30% odds Ron DeSantis is, 10% odds like a Ted Cruz, Rand Paul comes out of the rear and, you know, comes up with some kind of viral moment and pulls an upset. Those are the odds I'd give like right now. If I had to, if I was a book and I was laying odds, those are the odds I'd lay right now. In other words, 100% odds, it won't be when somebody Mitch McConnell likes will be the nominee. Like 100% odds. And, and if Republicans do well this fall, those guys are going to start running for president 10 minutes later. 10 minutes later. Trying to, trying, to, trying to get on top of that momentum and ride it and claim it as their own. And you watch Trump just do a rally in Arizona where suddenly uh, he put the big pharma salesman business card away. That never came out, right? And spent half the damn time rolling on about mandates and losses of liberty and destruction of our family and way of life, right? All right. All right. What does that tell you? Somebody knows how to read a room, read a base. We know Ron DeSantis does. The point I'm making here is these guys are going to be coming from off the top rope to take the surrender caucus narrative away because they can't win the GOP nomination on. There's nothing we do, guys. Sorry. They need to they need to maintain that anger, spite momentum that's out of this election and capitalize on it for their own gain. And so Team GOP needs to give us something. If they're not going to give us real fights on issues. There's only one other thing they can absolutely give us that would please us and then also provide ample content for platforms and shows like this that all our voters watch and listen to. What would it be? What Jim Jordan articulated. Who is more unpopular? Who's more unpopular to the GOP base? Vladimir Putin or Anthony Fauci? Go. Anthony Fauci. Not even freaking close. I mean, they're both underwater, but I mean, Anthony Fauci is going to be in like single digits, guys. Like Jinping and Fauci were the Harvey Two-Face flip of a coin here. And we should be because they're the two people that helped to do this to us. There is, there is no reason at all, none, for them to hold back on anything at all. None. They'd have no incentive to not go there. None. Well, Steve, they could make Trump look bad because he was, dude, trust me as someone who lost to Donald Trump. If they uncover stuff that Trump should have done things, dude will turn around tomorrow and just gaslight it and act like that never happened. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, do do not be worried about exposing the truth of this because it might hurt your boy Trump. 
Trump will just, dude, shamelessly gaslight. Dude, I wasn't even president. What are you talking about? I wasn't even there. I mean, I, I lost to Hillary. I mean, I mean, I'm slightly exaggerating here, okay? But slightly. Uh, no, no, dude. No, that's not going to happen, okay? So they have no incentive to not go there. And I think they're going to go there because they have to provide us something, something. And I think what you saw from Jim Jordan there with that dot connecting was a little preview of what things will look like a year from now if they win in November. Finally, I saved the worst or best for last. Brett Kavanaugh, whom the Trump White House stood behind when it didn't have to, maybe shouldn't have, but did. Him then turning around and, and writing what he claims is not a precedent-setting opinion. Then what is it? <laughs> right? It's not a precedent-setting opinion. It's just this guy's named Trump, so we're going to make an exception here. It's on a exec- yeah, that's, that's basically what he said. Hey, on this whole executive privilege thing, uh, it's not a precedent-setting opinion, but since the guy's name's Trump, uh, screw you. If that is not the ultimate vote GOP for better justice's death knell, I don't know what is, okay? That is beyond shameless from Brett Kavanaugh. Beyond shameless. More in a moment. I just had one of those chocolate chip cookie dough bill bars again. And I, I looked at you and I'm like, I cannot believe how good these are. You did. <laughs> and you're like, you if if you if 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 don't look up was real and your family was in the closing scene, you, after you guys had your solemn prayer and everything else, you'd bust one of those out and say, yes, All right, guys, would. one more for the road. Yes, right? you would. Let's go out with a bang. Yeah, I would. Okay. Because I cannot believe how good built bars are anyway, but the chocolate chip cookie dough built bar, I am just telling you, like if, if I didn't know it was a protein bar, it would rank like top two, three, four candy bars I've ever had in my entire life. That is how good that is. And they're all really good. All of their flavors. If you want to try it right now, go to built.com. B-U-I-L-T. Use the promo code of my last name, Dace, as your promo code to get 15% off as a discount, whether it's your first time or your next or your next and next and next time. All right. So uh, they've. If you like churros, you've like the Built Bar Puffs, the marshmallow one. That's what you're eating right now. Aaron is the is one of the Built Bar yeah. Puffs. Yep. The white chocolate cheesecake churro is like one of the most popular flavors of those. That's out right now. I think it's just about out though. So hurry while supplies last. But they got so many great flavors, loaded with uh with with flavor, all covered in real chocolate. Uh, loaded with protein, not loaded with carbs, calories, or sugars. Try it yourself. You'll like it. Built.com. B-U-I-L-T for Built Bar. Built.com. Use DACE as your promo code to get 15% off. Well, it's not every day that we get a chance to speak to a real-life MIT graduate, but today is one of those days. Uh, Congressman Thomas Massey from the state of Kentucky joins us. Good to see you again. Congressman, how are you? I'm doing well. It's a little cold here in Kentucky. We've got some snow here in my front yard, but we're doing well. It's minus five outside here in Des Moines, Tom. Oh, gee, I'll, I'll quit complaining. Yeah, yeah, so put the violin down, all right? 
Okay. Um, so, uh, first of all, I, we understand that uh, you have announced you are now COVID positive, so you can join one of the 154 million other Americans that have already been infected with this, according to CDC. Uh, do you know what, what strain it is and how are you feeling? Well, I feel fine right now. It was like one day of allergies. Maybe it felt like a cold and then it was over. And just as they say, out of an abundance of caution and really just curiosity, I took a test and wham, I was positive. And I was like, holy cow, well, this must be Omicron. And uh, I tweeted this morning my announcement after I got results back from a lab instead of just the home test because actually they're both not very reliable, Mm -hmm. but maybe having one of each uh, confirms it a little bit more. Um, and I, you know, I just want to say, I'm so thankful I have natural immunity, you know, like the people who've been double vaxxed and boosted claim that, you know, they would be no longer with us if they hadn't taken the vaccine. And that's the reason that their symptoms are so light. Well, I honestly think that the reason my symptoms are so light are twofold. Number one is probably is that Omicron. And number two, I had COVID two years ago. And I believe I've got T cells. My body was primed to react to this. Have you ever heard, and I mean, you work in government. So, I mean, you have heard some straight up BS, man, of epic and deep magnitude proportions, right? But have you ever heard essentially a marketing campaign or a narrative that, that essentially says, you know what, man, I tested positive for gonorrhea anyway. But if I had not worn that condom, it would have been so much worse. That is that not essentially what we have seen tons of your colleagues say in the last few weeks? A lot of celebrities, media figures, others that have, despite as Whoopi Goldberg said, I did everything they told me to do. All right. And and to 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 turn around and credit the very product that failed them. I have this is one of the most damnable Molechian levels of cult behavior I have ever seen. At least I I I, I on second thought, I hope they're all actually just bought off spokespeople and it's not a cult, because then I can totally respect the game. All right. But because if it's if it's what they really hope and think that they put this much faith into a product that failed them, that's far more disturbing to me. It's the closest thing to a cult that I have seen play out nationally like this um, in our lifetimes. And look, everybody that gets it who's been vaccinated, you know, when you point out, well, you know, the vaccine didn't keep you from getting it. Well, they say, well, that's not what the vaccine does. The vaccine just reduces your symptoms. All right. Then why the hell do we have all these vaccine mandates? Mm -hmm. If the the vaccine, the predicate Uh, or the presumption behind these vaccine mandates is that the vaccine keeps you from catching it and spreading it, which we know it does not. So, you know, I, I have to be careful on Twitter when I make my point. So I oftentimes ask a question. I asked the question uh, recently, is anybody working on a vaccine to stop the spread of COVID? (laughs) (laughs) I saw that. I retweeted that actually. That was very funny. How come nobody thought of that? Right. (laughs) Right. And the the liberals don't know what to say when they reply to that. The other question I asked was, um, which of the three vaccines that's available in the United States is doing the best job of stopping the spread right now? (laughs) Nice. And by the way, I I think unofficially and quietly, I think the Biden administration has a let it burn through strategy right now. Look, they reduced the the period that you're supposed to stay away from people from 10 to, to five days. Okay, the science didn't change on that. Mm -hmm. That's just what 
you know, they, I think they know that there's going to be more spread and they can't do anything to stop it. They've acknowledged that the cloth masks don't really work. Um, you know, Biden said, we're not going to shut down schools anymore. We're not going to have any more lockdowns. He just said that recently. And um, you cannot get a home test at any CVS that I have stopped at in Kentucky, Ohio, or West Virginia. I mean, they're just not available in this area. I'm glad you went there because I have been talking about this for the last couple of days on the show, but I, I would love to get the take and have our audience see and hear it from someone who's in the system and, and, get, and, and see what they think. Because I, I think we're, we're in the midst of watching one of the more thought-provoking and intriguing political science experiments in recent American history play itself out right now. So the other day, Paul Begala went on CNN and said, the problem with the Democratic Party right now is not its leaders, but its followers. And, you know, I had kind of the knee-jerk conservative reaction, you know, to that. I'm like, I don't know, God, brother, I've been watching your, your people for the last 23 months. Seems like they can do any damn thing. It's follow. They're really good at that. Okay. But then I got to thinking, maybe I, maybe he actually has, is onto something here. And I wonder, you know, he comes from another era of the Democratic Party. All right. When they said when they really said a lot of this crazy stuff just to get elected, but didn't really mean it. It was just the whole Clintonian triangulation angle. Right. And, right. and and I wonder if what he was really saying is, guys, we only did this to knife Trump. It worked. All right. And and now we're looking at our poll numbers and we've got this Omicron attenuating virus that's going to give us some level of herd immunity. We're all going to agree to for the first time. And and that's why we said the day after Christmas, there's no federal solution. We can't shut this thing down. That's why they're telling the truth about cloth masks. That's why we suddenly are going to tell the truth about natural immunity at the CDC and and the things you mentioned. It's clear there there's an attempt to build a narrative here to have some form of an Omicron off ramp from all of this. But the problem is, congressmen, within their own base is a sizable segment of people that probably do not want to let this go, that are devoted to this as a subject matter, that are angry at people that didn't go along with the jab regimen and don't want to see them um, essentially restored to full citizenship because they didn't take the risk that they took. A combination of factors and how they're going to be able to try to triangulate this with the polling reality that they're they're currently suffering from and the reality that a segment of their own base doesn't ever want to let this go and is closer to Joy Reid than Bill Clinton. Am I wrong? Because I think that's what's actually going on here. You're right. I I said earlier this morning that the beatings will continue until their poll numbers are in the basement. And that's where... that's where they are. So they they want to let up on the beatings, but a certain segment of their constituency, which is the people who vote in their primaries, still want the beatings to continue. This has become a religion for them. Mm-hmm. Because there were, there were no metrics for starting this cult, there are no metrics for ending this cult. And so they can't go and say, well, we, we put these things in place to do X, and we said we stop when we got to Y. Well, they never said that. So everybody's under the assumption that it's going to keep going. But you see that uh, our friend across the pond has uh, announced that he's dialing back on the all the, you know, onerous shutdowns, lockdowns, masking, all that stuff. Here in our country, they're starting to feel it in the economy as well. And they know that you don't turn these things on and off like a light switch. And they've got so much momentum behind paying people to stay home, reducing productivity, the inflation. By the way, 
I want to be an equal opportunity offender here and and call out my Republican friends who voted for $2 trillion mm-hmm. in spending back when, and you had me on your show right mm-hmm. when that was going on, because I looked at my Skype and uh, it has the date, March 30th, 2020, when you and I spoke before mm-hmm. on your show. And you were calling them out too. The two, You've got a lot of Republicans right now who are trying to get religion on uh, going being against big spending, but they were all for it two years ago when Trump rolled out the first $2 trillion and said, we don't even need to vote on this. Just, just nod your head and run this thing through. So let's look at the economy next year and, and forecast forward. We just had a Christmas fourth quarter. Our fourth quarter growth numbers are not out yet, but if you look at the retail numbers uh, for the fourth quarter, I don't anticipate some kind of Christmas fourth quarter, Christmas season boon. Uh, those projections were something like 850% below, uh, or I'm sorry, the actuals were like 857 or 850% below what they were projecting. Uh, we've got news today that uh, this is the largest single week of unemployment claims since back in October. So, I mean, th- this doesn't seem to be, uh, the slowdown doesn't seem to be slowing down here. So what happens in these next couple of months? What do you think, what do you think they're going to try to do, Congressman? Oh, they're between a rock and a hard place. They either have to keep the fear porn going so that they can try to get mail-in ballots in all 50 states for these midterms. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of states have said they won't do it, but the Democrats obviously do better when you do the mail-in ballots. Uh, And so they, if they double down on the fear porn, they can get that, but they're hurting in the polls. They're killing this economy. What's happening right now is a result, not just of what occurred in Washington, D.C. six months ago, but what's occurred over the last two years. I don't think they can turn it around. American citizens, like everyday people, even people who don't vote, are in the dollar store complaining about the prices and saying, well, this is because um, the government put too much money in the economy. Like there are people who understand economics and they didn't go to, you know, they don't have PhDs in economics, but they're seeing through what happened. So the Democrats, they may try to put the economy on one last sugar high mm-hmm. before the election. There, there has been discussion in the House that we will be voting on another COVID package at some point. And I would presume it'd be on the order of $2 trillion. That's just the, you know, an ante these days. If it's not $2 trillion, you don't care, um, according to them. So they may try to do that just to get past the midterms, but that will kill us in this country. Final question, and it may be difficult for you to answer, and I respect it if it is, but I think this is something our audience would, would, would definitely want to know, Congressman. Among your Democratic colleagues... How many of them are politicians in that a lot of the most divisive things we see are talking points? It's a, it's a narrative in order to, uh, to please a, a constituency and uh, in order to maintain power. And, and then how many of them really believe in that sort of what I call like spirit of the age kind of stuff? Uh, and, and I guess it's almost kind of sad that in a way I'm hoping that it's the more cynical answer now. Okay, but but can you answer that for us? What would you estimate? Uh, There was one that I could name who who wasn't just a a pure politician. That was Tulsi Gabbard, and she's no longer in Congress. Uh, 
Look, I have decided to quit blaming my colleagues, my Democrat colleagues. I, I'm a little bit like, was who did you quote, Paul Begala? Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit like him right now. I blame the people that voted for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are responding to the people who voted for them. You In the Democratic primary, there are a lot of these people who only got maybe 20,000 votes and they won their Democratic primary and now they represent 750,000 people. Now, the same thing happens on the right in terms of votes. But that's who the left has been catering to, to the detriment of this country. And uh, yeah, they're politicians. They're responding to to what their constituents want. There is one exception with respect to immigration. They are willing to destroy this country, to overrun our hospitals, to overrun our schools. Import terrorists uh, that hold synagogues hostage. Yeah. bring Bring in murderers. They are willing to do that to gain more power and I don't think it's necessarily their base who's telling them to do that. They understand or they believe that the more illegal immigrants that they can get in here and then if they can turn them into voters, then that will be the coup de grace and they will uh, have much more power. And they're willing to destroy this country for it. So that's one exception to them responding to their base. Congressman Thomas Massey from Kentucky. Uh, stay well, brother. Good to have you back on the show. We'll do it again soon. All right. Take care. Thanks for having me on, Steve. You bet. Uh, Congressman Massey brought to you by our friends over at Patriot Mobile when there is an opportunity to do business with those who share our values we don't get that a lot in a pluralistic society particularly one that's becoming increasingly paganized so when there is an opportunity to do so especially when it's a product that almost every American has to use these days that's a mobile phone take full advantage of it with our friends over at Patriot Mobile our family made the switch last fall we put it off for too long thought it was going to be too expensive too much of a hassle uh, that we lose coverage etc you know because a lot of times you're just lazy Um, But uh, it worked out great. They did a great job catering a plan for all five of us in unique, specific situations. And we actually ended up saving some money uh, and getting the exact same coverage that we were getting before uh, while being able to upgrade our phones, which made it cost a little bit extra for that. But you don't have to do that. If you don't want to upgrade your phone, you want to bring the one you have, uh, you can do that. You can also upgrade. They will do whatever they can to customize it for you. Veterans and first responders, you save even more money. But everybody listening to us right now can get a free activation with the offer code DACE, my last name, D-E-A-C-E, when you go to PatriotMobile.com slash DACE. PatriotMobile.com slash DACE or call them at 972-PATRIOT. Thoughts on the conversation we just had with Congressman Massey? God bless him for his ability to continue to be a happy warrior. Uh, I don't like, as you know why I want to ultimately go there someday just to see what happens. Well, he's seen it with his own eyes, how mm-hmm. people come the way they do. He should look like he's been like in a room with a swinging light bulb and beaten with a, a sock full of quarters. You know, he should look yes. like that after what he's endured. But yeah, he's like, yeah, it's a cult. And he's yeah, just got a smile it. on his face. <laughs> I mean, I, I I would probably have to be arrested by now. I, I mean, I'm just, he's a better person than yes. me. I'm just going to flat out say that. He is a better person than I am. I couldn't do it. All right. I, I mean, I would, I would either have gone crazy or gone crazy. Theology Thursday is next. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin and all of you. Don't forget, you can email the show. 
Steve at SteveDace.com. You can follow us at Steve Dace Show on Twitter and at Getter. Uh, you can also follow me and uh, and follow our work. Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Just look for Steve Dace there. And then Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show is where you can go uh, as well to watch clips of the program, like the interview we just did with Thomas Massey, the congressman from the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Uh, you can watch those for free and free of censorship at Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show as well. And again, that is D-E-A-C-E. Thanks to all of you who are podcast listeners and left us a five-star review. Hit the subscribe or follow button. Uh, You guys have helped uh, with the ongoing and tremendous growth of our show. We appreciate each and every one of you. If you're a podcast listener, you haven't done those things for us yet, please consider doing so so that we can thank you too. While we are sending out thanks, um, I think what Matt Walsh did this week on the Dr. Phil show is absolutely one of the most important media appearances anybody in our movement or industry has done in my lifetime. It is it is rare. This is a lot different than just going on The View and owning the libs and laying in a couple of blows. I mean, that I think that's valuable too. But this, rem, and this reminds, it reminded me a little bit of when Shapiro went on with Pierce Morgan, what was that, about 10 years ago, on the gun issue. And just absolutely destroyed him. And I mean, that just rocketed Ben's career. Okay, but that was a rare opportunity to have a real back and forth dialogue and give and take on an issue. And a lot of times, and I speak from experience, I'm not done anything as mainstream as Dr. Phil, but when you're on MSNBC 60 times or whatever the number was, it was 50 something for me. A lot of these are seven, eight minutes and maybe a quarter of them are you're the only person on. So a lot of times it's, you know, dine and dash. It's a drive through. It's a hit. It's a, it's a drive by. And it's, it's very hard to make profound points that, that, that do more than, than uphold your side's view advance on the enemy like take territory away from them it's hard to do that in that truncated amount of time no matter how good you are at this so for matt first of all to have been granted and and have earned enough recognition to get an invite like that for an entire episode on dr phil in front of a, a a very large mainstream audience and then to to then do his best under that scenario too uh, I just, I wanted to make sure we made a note of that because I thought it was, uh, frankly, I, not to sound cheesy, but I thought it was a tremendous service to humanity, frankly, what what went on there. So you guys have any quick thoughts on that? Yeah, to, to actually see beyond theory, because even just a couple of weeks ago when I spoke on this kind of issue at my school board meeting, they are on their best behavior and, oh, we're not really talking about that sort of thing here. The, the actual times two bearded lady act mm-hmm. for all to see mm-hmm. while uh, he Matt just stands up and again makes them not the actual folks living inside this rhetorically say who they are and what they want. And it's like I talked to my daughters on the way home coming from the meeting that they saw. As soon as you can get past the fear factor that's genuine, the mob that, yes. that yes. you 
Everybody got to see they have no arguments. It's terrible. It is just a will to power with them. It is just mental illness with them. And that's really, really important. We, we, we need everybody with their own eyes to see the absurdity in all its glory. And then we decide. Because unfortunately, I wish this was a guarantee because from a, a sane culture should have been like, yeah, okay, this is utterly insane. Yes. We need to move on. It, won't, it won't, but we need to do things like this to have a shot at moving on. Yes. And now, you know, I, 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 it's been a long time since I think I've shared this anecdote about um, a pastor who was influential on me early in my conversion. Uh, and his, he passed away several years ago. Uh, and his name was Adrian Rogers. And I listened to a story that he told about early in his ministry career. And this was like in the 1950s, I think. And he had gone, he had gone down to like Creole country in Louisiana and done, uh, you know, tried to do a revival evangel- evangelism. And as the days go on, the crowds are thinning out and he's getting really discouraged. Maybe I made the wrong career choice. I, I, maybe God didn't call me to do this. And he said, you know, I wouldn't urge you to challenge God on this level. I'm just telling you my testimony. I did it. And he goes, I took my Bible and I went out into the woods and I'm just like, you know, I got to hear a word from you, brother. Uh, Lord, I got to hear a word from you or it's 5,000, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the tap out. All right. And he opened up his, he just blindly opens up his Bible and he opens it up to a, a section in Ezekiel where God says to the, to the prophet and they, though they are a wicked, stubborn and stiff necked people they will know that a prophet was among them. And I heard him say in this podcast that basically just sort of sustained him for like his entire career, that in the end, whether people listen or the results, not up to him, that that's not his job. That's not his responsibility. And, to, and, and that's, what gets, that's what creates the stress and the overbearing is when you, when you take that responsibility upon yourself. But then I'm just here to deliver the message. And then what, what everybody chooses to do with it is that's your, that's a you problem, right? And to me, that's, I mean, Matt epitomized that. Everybody, everybody now knows in one of the largest television audiences in America, everybody knows the truth. And here's the thing to quote uh, Solzhenitsyn, um, we know that they know that it's the truth too, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're without excuse now. What happens from here, that's. If you allow this to destroy your 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 children and and, and your families, that you did that, you own that. No one can claim now that they didn't know that they that that there was ignorance as an excuse in the eye of the law, right? Right. So well done, Matt. Well done, uh, good and faithful servant. It's been too long since he's been on the show. By the way, we need to do something about that. Sanctify okay. it. All right, let's get to Theology Thursday, uh, brought to you by Scoremaster. Uh, the three-week rule may be the best financial advice ever. What's the three-week rule? It's uh, wait three weeks to buy that new car. Wait three weeks to refi your home. Wait three weeks to finance any new purchase. Why three weeks? Because that's how fast the average Scoremaster user takes to boost your credit score by an average of about 60 points. And hey, that makes a huge difference, not just in whether you can get approved, but the terms and conditions of of those loans as well. Scoremaster technology was developed by credit data scientists to boost your credit score higher and faster than you thought possible. I used this exact service last year uh, in order to help us get to a, a ridiculously low interest rate for our refi. 
It's easy to take. It's just about a minute to get started. And they make all this information that they have on you, they make it available and accessible now for you instead. Scoremaster.com slash Steve. Try it for free. See how many plus points that you can add to your score at scoremaster.com slash Steve. So we are beginning a new series here on Theology Thursday. And it's it's this book by Dr. Scott Atlas. And uh, over Christmas... I got to thinking that we've spent a good deal of time discussing and firming up our own convictions. Doesn't mean they're ever fully firmed. That's not what we're saying, okay? But there's got to be a little balance here. And you absolutely, the most important thing is to firm up your own convictions in a biblical worldview. That's that's the whole, uh, the, you know, don't worry about the log in your brother's eye. Check the speck of dust in your own. Judgment begins in the house of God first, right? Uh, even the Great Commission, start first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then all, then, then branch out to the Gentile world from there, right? This is always an inside-out mechanism within a biblical worldview. Everything is. Accountability, um, equipping, everything from in a biblical worldview starts with you. Responsibility begins with you. So we've spent years doing that on Theology Thursday, but it's been years since we've done something like our Seven Deadly Worldview series that I wrote and put together. Boy, when was that now? Like 2010, 11, 12, 13, sometime before you guys even came to work here. And I got to thinking we got to balance the scales here a little bit this year because we're facing a a more fierce threat level now. Where you're watching what we used to just call culture war or uh, political battle is not that anymore. You're watching open spiritual warfare. I mean, we, we just had a congressman who's an MIT grad refer to cults as operating. You know, that, that is not language. When you and I were ditto heads growing up, we weren't tuning in to rush from noon to three, man, in college, expecting to hear the word cult dropped, right? Um, okay. The, the, the level of threat we're dealing with here on a spiritual level is now manifest. And so I I thought this is this year, especially coming off a year. Well, two years ago, our theme was assume you're being lied to not knowing what was about to transpire Mm -hmm. in 2020. Our theme last year was the answer is us. And our theme this year is let's find out. This is a perfect opportunity then that if, if we're going to assume that, after the last few couple of years, we cannot trust our mainstream information sources any longer. Secondarily, that we can't outsource our citizenship any longer. And now thirdly, that at any moment, I mean, you did not anticipate that you were going to spend your Christmas break dealing with a cease and desist letter from, a, from your own school district, right? right. All right. At any moment... This spiritual war shows up on your front door at any moment, at any moment. Then it's time now that we need to spend at least this year studying the enemy that we're about to confront. And so I've chosen three books uh, that, that I think give us a wide angle lens of that opposition. Later in the year, the third book we're gonna ta- is going to deal with the economy and cryptocurrency. Why are governments, Russia just did it today, China had already done it, Hillary Clinton is, is warning governments against cryptocurrency and how it can destabilize us. Why? What does that represent? 
We're going to get into that later this year. In the middle of the year, we'll go through my book, Do What You Believe or You Won't Be Free to Believe It Much Longer. It's it's kind of a holistic view of how the spirit of the age operates comprehensively regardless of issue. But we're going to begin by looking at the enemy, the manifestation of the spirit of the age that is right in front of us and has been right in front of us now for 23 months. COVID stand. And who better to do that through than our good friend Scott Atlas, who wrote a book, came out right before Christmas, called A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. Scott Atlas, MD, has worked both in treating, he's a unique figure, and that he has worked both in treating patients in his career, but he's also worked the ideological academic side as a member of the Hoover Institution, which is located where? Stanford University ranked one of the top four medical schools in the United States. So he knows both the practical side of the trade and also the theoretical ideological side as well. We're going to go through this chapter by chapter, except for this week, we're going to do the introduction in chapter one together. And I'm going to start with you guys' big picture thoughts on what you read. And then I'm going to try to tie that into the spiritual themes that I think his testimony addresses. Who wants to begin? So my big picture takeaway is that in this introduction and and first chapter, I have not read the rest of the book. I'm just going through it chapter by chapter as we go through it with you on the show for Theology Thursday. It's like somebody is watching and writing... um, writing what a 21st century version of Romans 1 looks like in real yes, time. Yes, yes. That's, that's my big picture takeaway. The amount of confusion, exchanging truth for a lie, calling good evil and evil good. That's basically what he is articulating here. I have no idea what his faith background is, if any. Um, he certainly is not, where, he just certainly doesn't wear that on his sleeve, uh, if there is one. But the, at least from a secular perspective, if that's what he comes from, but an honest perspective, that's what this looks like. It looks like Romans 1 unfolding in the 21st century. What's the last line of Romans 1, if I'm going to paraphrase here? These are people who delight in creating new ways to do evil and encouraging others to do the same. That's how it begins, or that's how it ends. And that was, I got that vibe from this absolutely from the very beginning. There is an intent to deceive here from the very beginning. And it's, and it's either a, a, a sin of omission or commission. That there is either an intent to deceive, to take advantage of this situation for a particular agenda or a set of agendas, or it's one of, of omission in that I lack the discernment to either recognize that that's happening when that's my job to recognize that's happening or I'm too gutless to stand up and do something about it. If you, if you wonder where do, where, where does the spirit of the age? I've, I talked about this last year when I watched that documentary series on, on, on the rise of Nazi Germany leading up to the start of world war II. Remember this. And I just was blown away seeing what, that Germany was considered soft, benevolent authoritarianism from the Kaiser, meaning that people lived under an authoritarian regime 
but it was considered benevolent uh, in that it was Western. It was enlightened, right? There, it wasn't authoritarian from a, a sinister perspective, more so of a monarchical. It was more authoritarian in form than necessarily an imposition, if that makes sense, because it was a singular monarchy. But this also was the most enlightened, what we would have called small b, small p, progressive nation on earth. Looking at, looking at black and white, early silent film of late 19th century, early 20th century Berlin and, and, and other urban centers in Germany, it looked like scenes out of a comic book. You know, like how Metropolis was originally depicted in the early 30s and 40s Max Fleischer cartoons. It looked like a futuristic society. Within 20 years, they would plunge the world into the worst war of all time at that time, including the introduction of biological warfare. And within 20, and then about 20 years after that, they would plunge the world into an even worse war with the introduction of nuclear warfare. When it goes, when a culture lets go of the rope, it goes, it goes fast. There are people who were in high school and then lived to, in, 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 the, in, in that era of Germany and then lived to see their country completely just given over. In fact, that would have occurred within a born generation, a generation born into that era of enlightened Germany. Who then signed off on mustard gassing Brits at the Marne and signed off on rounding up Jews next, that were their next door neighbors. How? And it's easy for us to look back on this now, Todd, and say, we would have spoken up. We would have done something. No, we wouldn't. I mean, what's the biggest threat that we had to speaking up over the last couple of years? Deplatforming. Deplatforming. Is that a life, is that a life-threatening no. situation? Were we going to be rounded up and sent to the very same concentration camps as the Jews, the gypsies, and the homosexuals? No. We'd just be deplatformed. We couldn't get people to speak up because of that. I might get demonetized on Facebook. My channel might. We couldn't get people to speak up because of that. Or I didn't want to believe that Trump was wrong from the beginning. And so, you know, that's my guy. We couldn't get people to even speak up because of that. So, no, we cannot sit here with the benefit of hindsight and say that if we lived in these times, we would not have been part of the maddening crowd. We would have not gone along. We would have been the dissidents. By the way, what happened to their dissidents? We always look, we, we look at the evolution of, 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 of Bonhoeffer from pacifist social justice warrior of his age to hardcore culture warrior plotting Project Valkyrie to assassinate Hitler. By the way, the story doesn't end there, guys. You know where his story ends? He died in a concentration camp. That's what usually happens to these dissidents. We weren't facing any of those things. And look how few of us spoke up against this. And so I, I think one of the things that, should, that we need to see right away, and you see this in this book right away, is how from the jump, this is why I said last year, this wasn't an outlier, it was a harvest. The, the soil was tilled for a spirit of the age to come in now and, and with a winnowing fork and reap this kind of a bounty. This didn't blindside people. We were conditioned for it as a society. Because we let go of the rope. And when you let go of the rope, 
It goes fast. Todd, what about you? I'm struck, and it's useful that we just talked about the movie Free Guy. Mm-hmm. It's a funny movie. Talk The Matrix on the darker end of things, but you, you see, and he tells you, and he wants you to know his waking up process and how important it is. I think he wants everybody to see how, if you're not woken up yet, about what's actually happening, you need to too, because we had Dr. Atlas on the show a handful of times in the last two years. Mm-hmm. After the very first time we had him on, Aaron put uh, he does everything he does and puts it up for everybody to see, and Aaron wrote a headline that was it entirely fair and all the things we do, but Scott Atlas got a hold of Aaron and said, could you please tweak that word? It's, it's a little more aggressive than I, it was something like that. It, it, that was the early on in the thing. He 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 wasn't awake yet. He he was just he was like I I think we're just kind of in a fog. We're afraid. I think if we're just serious grown ups, the ones I've been used to talking to in my whole career, I think we're going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And it got worse and it got worse. And then he got called the names and everything. And now he's the guy right out of the gate in this book. He says. I'm going to tell you exactly who the liars are. We're naming names. Mm-hmm. He he is he wasn't Steve Dace and to, he certainly wasn't Totters and anti-vaxxer coming out of this. He was like I, science is going to win, right? And he's like not only is science going to not going to win, it is going to be used as the Trojan horse for spiritual demons to be unleashed on the earth. I, he, this may have been called radicalized, radical son, or something like that, mm. because the Scott Atlas that is writing this book is not the Scott Atlas that was on the show the first time, but he realized what he had to become uh, in order for the truth to win out. And he keeps talking about that word, truth, truth, truth. Fauci comes up here right away. And... And what Atlas does is points out that this is not unique behavior for him. He had done this before. Fauci goes back, or Atlas goes back to the 80s and points out Fauci's statements of of ridiculousness, of of casual contact, that you'll get AIDS from members in your home that you just share a house with, right? Scaring the living hell out of people. Now, Aaron, it wasn't even alive during, you and I remember this time. And you and I remember the kid, Ryan White. Everybody remembered that kid. The kid that got AIDS from a blood transfusion and whether he should be able to go to school or not because he could give it to somebody on a toilet seat. Who was fomenting this? America's leading infectious disease expert in, in, in in that era was also the same guy, Anthony Fauci, same guy. The quick changing of his tune right away on various narratives. Atlas points out that this is the exact same thing that he did with HIV. And followed the same game plan with this. Atlas also points out denials of treatments. Remember when Magic got HIV. So this is now like a full decade after this has now become one of the worst viral outbreaks in in American history, right? Mm -hmm. So Magic comes out in 1991. I've got HIV a good decade after we ever really first heard about this as as a disease. And remember when we found out like a year or two later when he came back and he played in the NBA All-Star game that he had been taking like these like cocktails and treatments and mm-hmm. we were like, what, what, what witchcraft is this? Because we were told there weren't, that they could, there were none, there was no, there was no way to treat it. It was just a death sentence. Right. And that the only way to treat it was what? They had to develop a what? A vaccine. Mm-hmm. Which as Atlas points out, they still don't have. 
same game plan that we saw here. The exact same game plan. Except unlike AIDS, as tragic as it was, a largely behaviorally induced spread disease that if you avoid, and even, it's not even just those behaviors. Like if you want to be a drug addict and not share a needle with somebody else, just have your own needles. Chances are you wouldn't get AIDS. If you wanted to engage in homosexuality and just stayed in a committed relationship, chances are you wouldn't get AIDS, right? So it wasn't even that it was amongst those communities, but even within those communities, you could still personally engage in behaviors that would avoid you getting this, Mm -hmm. right? Here with COVID, we've got an airborne, aerosolized virus. There's nothing you can really do. You have to live. You cannot stay in your home the whole time. And even if you're going to get everything delivered, eventually got to go to your door in order to get the stuff from the people dropping it off, right? You cannot hermitize yourself in our society. No one can do it. So now we had something that everyone was going to be exposed to. Same game plan. No early treatments. Wait for a vaccine. Now, we're only a couple of chapters into this book yet, so I don't know if Atlas intended this or not. So this is my read. This is the same demonically level, level of delusion game plan run by the same guy in virtually the same circumstances to the same population just about a generation apart. Translation. He wasn't, Fauci wasn't blindsided by any of this. Even if you don't agree that he took part in making the virus or funding its creation or any of that stuff, this is not a unique behavior for him. This is not a unique response system from him. He did this erroneously before. And what did he learn from that? Nothing. He just ran it back. And he was never interested from the beginning in getting any contrary data to his own narrative. So you're left with two conclusions about Anthony Fauci. He is absolutely a construct of the spirit of the age. It can be unintentionally malevolent in that he is so drunk on his own narcissism and his own sense of self-importance that he is a, a bumbling figure. We've had plenty of those in history. We've seen that before, right? Or that he's really good at this. And he's, an, he's a conductor. And this is his symphony. It's what he does. Neither one of those are particularly comforting. And they're both not just malevolent, They're malignants. He's a tumor. He's a human tumor is what he is. And it would take an unhealthy society to allow him to not just survive what he did in the 80s, but then let him rebrand himself to last another 40 years to then end up a multimillionaire with the largest pension awaiting him in the history of the U.S. government. A sick society does that. A healthy society tars and feathers this mofo 35 years ago. Last thoughts. 
Well, again, another show we talked about recently, Don't Look Up. You know, he the, the half of that movie is spent with these scientists find this thing that is not negotiable in any way and how everybody, upon hearing it, has some other agenda. And that that movie hangs over my reading of this book hmm. in real time because he was a scientist and like he said, he talks about uh, Johnny Aneides. Uh, who he didn't even know at the time, and you know, although John yeah. also even worked they're on the Stanford. same faculty, yeah, yeah, uh, didn't know Jay Betachara. I got it right that time. Yeah. <laughs> didn't know him either, even though they were on the same they were on the same faculty. I right. bet if if they haven't seen that movie, I bet they're watching that, and that, like that's like telling our story. Hell of a start to this book, I thought. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing where it goes from here. Hopefully, you do as well. When we come back, our fun game of three non-political questions will be next. We should ask that for three non-political questions. That's a good idea. Actually, Mike is on. Hello, we're back. (laughs) Guess what we were talking about that got you distracted? Are you going to admit that on air? Uh, it depends. If it comes up in three non-political questions, then yes, I will. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. Uh, let me tell you about our friends over at Annie's Kit Clubs. Right now, uh, we just were talking about all the misinformation that is out there, the need for more critical thinking out there as well. Uh, can you get tools uh, available to you that can help encourage inquisitiveness and critical thinking with your children? You can. Our friends at Annie's Kit Clubs, they don't just do crafts and they don't just do like, you know, uh, hammer nail tool stuff for the kids. They've got genius boxes that help teach geology, chemistry, aerodynamics and more. So they get into some hardcore science and critical thinking stuff with that as well for kids of ages uh, 7 to 12. It empowers your kids' imagination, helps enhance their critical thinking skills. They've even got an exciting top-secret mission envelope in every box to walk them through a series of amazing projects each month. If you want to introduce your kids to real science and research, uh, here's how you can do it. Annie'sKitClubs.com slash Steve. Annie's, A-N-N-I-E, Annie's Kit Club, kitclubs.com slash Steve, plural, Annie's kitclubs.com slash Steve. It is now time for three non-political questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, three non-political questions. Something to lighten the mood just a little bit. I panicked because we were about 20 minutes into the show and I finally looked at the rundown for the show that you so graciously put out like 18 hours before we actually go on air and I don't look at until 20 minutes after the show starts I just know the montage is at the front anyway I freaked out because I, I, I gotta get three non-political questions and then I realized I already had them from last week we never got to three non-political right, questions last, last week, week. Right. however uh, it's more like four or five questions because of what we were talking about uh, just on the air here some Twitter account said improve a professional sports league by uh, eliminating or adding one rule 
So I immediately asked Todd, why is there offsides in, in, in soccer? It, why? Why? What's the that's point? That's what we're turning the segment into? Why? Well, yeah, I'm, I'll have my You know what my answer is. I'll give it in a second, but I'll let you go first. I, I, asked, I mean, I asked it in good faith originally. Now it's just funny because I've enjoyed soccer a lot over the last couple of years. This, I it, wish you lied more. You, you can't complain about the lack of scoring in soccer and then want to see what you're asking for. I know you think there will be even less soccer if there's no offsides. There's less scoring if there's no offsides. You, you, you because you'll just have carpet You're talking backers. to someone that has not covered this sport professionally. No, but you have. have such a contempt for it that I don't think you can see this rationally. Okay. Fair. Setting it, setting Fair. it. I do have a contempt <laughs> for it, but this rule is one of the major reasons why. I'll answer the question: Why is there offsides in soccer? So Guatemala can be good at it. So Honduras can matter. So Bolivia can be good at something. Um, that's why. Because having covered this sport professionally, let me tell you what offsides is. Whenever the offensive player gets to the ball before the defensive player does, he's offsides. No. That's pretty much what no, it means. No, it's not. That's pretty that much what it means. I covered it not just it professionally, means. but it's professional even, soccer. It's not even close to what that means. After okay. a year of watching soccer, which I started watching in 2020 because there were no other leagues on, uh-huh. I took a quiz online and it showed different scenarios around the pitch. Is this offsides? Is this yep. offsides? Uh, what, there were like, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 questions. Guess how many I got right? Zero. Two. Yeah. If this is this is the difference between hockey and soccer. Soccer needs a blue line. If you look at if you look at it's not about the amount of scoring in soccer, although we like to laugh at the one nil thing, it's the amount of scoring chances. I spent many a summer night in a hot press box covering professional soccer. A ninety minute match, maybe five shots on goal. While a lot of calisthenics went on to the 60 yards there right in the middle, okay? Um it needs a blue line. That will that ju- that's what that's what makes the puck move, forces people to stay back, increases the flow of the game. The sport needs a blue line. And, 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 and frankly the sport needs more it needs to be North Americanized. It needs a this blue line. This is the ugliest of ugly American takes. And it needs violence. Ever. But but I well, will I will plenty of violence. I will No, dude. Someone slap my ass and then I well, get that's the, the little yellow card, okay? And my flop is not violence. That being said, I'll, I'll dispatch the violence if you give me a blue line. There's great athletes that play this sport. Phenomenal. Some of the best in the world. But the rules yeah. of the game... And you know what none is, of them think? This there is, should be a blue line. And this is why also none of their, their sport will never dominate the only it country ultimately that really matters. So who cares? Why, oh, the, hell, why the, the hell do I care what the, Ecuador thinks? The only, I don't care. See, why do I care? I don't live there. I mean, we buy and the sell Ecuador. I don't care. The country that matters. Really, in the end, we are. It's our currency. It's our language. It's our military. We this are. Is... We essentially pay for the rest of this planet. In the end, we're really the only country that matters. Really, in the end. That's just the worst take you've ever issued it's on the, the show. Tr- on tell anything. me a follow-up uh, question for Todd. It's, it's straight up true. Why isn't every footballer who misses a penalty kick immediately met by a firing squad? This is a more legitimate topic of discussion. 
It was, um, this is it's a, this is why I say it's a socialist sport. It punishes things that are bigger, faster, and better. And this is and it, it 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 intrinsically within its own rules attempts attempts to punish merit. The better athletes in this sport are punished. If you cannot outrun the defensive player to the ball, you're offsides. That's I mean you, you can't you can't kick the ball long to the, to your guy, and if he runs if he gets there faster than the defense guy, he's offsides. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's I covered not. the sport you're for years. Wrong still, then professionally, which makes it all the more I, ridiculous. I covered it. I was paid to cover it, and the people that were playing were paid to play it. That's happened every time. They were always offsides every time. Every right. time the offensive guy got in the clear, offsides. Every time the ball was kicked to the offensive guy to get him what? into the clear, offsides. Explain to me what you think offsides actually is. The rule. That when the offensive player gets to the ball before that, the defensive see, guy does, that's what I think it is. Well, you're wrong. It's a little now it might be what you think it is, but it's like Star Decisis. It it's what they actually do. No. It's why every game's you cannot put that many good athletes on this the field on that big helpful. of a field to play for this long and the damn game's one to nothing with seven shots on goal. That's what happens. So offsides is when the ball is the ball is the only thing between the offensive player receiver and the end line, right? Instead no, of the no. defender. Offsides is if you are the if you're on the offensive team and you're the closest person to the goalie when the pass the ball is played to you. You have to be even with the last defender when that this ball isn't is helping. played. This is this is this is this is the soccer version it's of not- Reuter saying the guy didn't say that it doesn't work. It just said it doesn't work against the variance that we need it to work against. You just said if you get to the ball, if 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 no. you just made my point. No, I didn't. I have to be even with a defender. Why? Because so Guatemala can be good because it's the rule of the most popular game in the hist- in in the entire world, and, and all yet of the, those people yet, would tell you you don't know what you're talking in about. In the history of the world, this is the one sport it doesn't excel at. Excel at explain. And you think and it's this because is why? Of the offside, oh because intrinsically, on a cultural level, it punishes bigger, faster, stronger, better. And if, and intrinsically, as a people, we seek out bigger, faster, stronger, better. You just defined that. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You are, you have not even, you don't, you can't, it's one thing to look at the rule as it's written and at least, okay, that's what it is. This is what the, this is where you actually, the Catholic debate, you're doing what you say is not fair to do in the Catholic Protestant debate. You're, you you want, you're saying what you want it to mean, even though that's not what it means. You can still disagree with it if you understand what it actually says. No, I'm you saying don't Pope understand Francis, what it actually not says. Not Aquinas or Augustine, but Pope Francis is who officiates soccer. And he makes sure that damn thing is as woke as possible and as, as egalitarian as possible. That's what I'm saying. Well, that, that your sport, needs, have your sport converse, needs more Benedict and less, if we're fr- and less Francis. If this conversation in the future, you actually have got to know what the rule actually is before you disagree with it. And you don't know what it is currently. I said if, and when, when the offensive guy gets the ball before the defensive guy, he's offsides. You responded by clarifying that if it's just you and the goalie and you're not even with the defensive guy, you're offsides. That's what you responded with. In other words, if I'm there before the defensive guy or without no. the defensive guy or ahead of the defensive no. guy, I'm offsides. No. And everybody who has any actual knowledge of soccer, that's what, I, I don't know what you were doing when you were covering the sport because you still sitting don't there, know what the Sitting there in 97 is. degree heat watching seven damn uh, shots on goal. That's what I was doing for three hours. That's what I was doing. 
Right. The, forget- world, the world loves it. Let's get to the next. Yeah, I mean, the world loves all kinds of things. Lots of people in the world love tree bark. Eat eels. I don't care. We're America. All right, so let's talk about if you want to live in America and you want to live in a place that matters. <laughs> I'm just that speaking. Was, that, was, that was so bad. You just I'm taught out to drive there right into a commercial. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, what was I saying? Uh, in these unprecedented times. Bing. <laughs> if you are looking for a real estate agent to help you navigate the era in which we live with record unemployment claims, inflation, um, bubbles. All right. And you're like, now's a great time to move. Okay. If that's you, make sure you go in with an agent that you can trust and you'll find them at the website that just says it all. Real estate agents. I trust.com. That's a company started by Glenn Beck and his associates because they ran into real estate agents they could not trust. They didn't want that to happen to you. So just about anywhere in America that you want to move to or from, we can help you find a real estate agent that you can trust at real estate agents. I trust.com. All right. Next question. Uh, you, one, one really quick thing. Okay. Sure. You know why my daughter who's got a college scholarship to play soccer is hardly ever off sides but always gets to the ball before most defenders hmm. because she's bigger, faster, stronger. Okay. So you don't have to be, you, you over, because you're bigger, faster, stronger, so you, it would be a cheat to be, always have the advantage of just sitting down there and apple, uh, carpet bagging. See, you, you, you enhance the bigger, faster, stronger. By not giving, it's like a point spread. You're not giving them a minus three. Do you have to be even when the ball is kicked or when it arrives? When it's kicked. When it's kicked. Oh, okay. Well, that makes a little bit more sense then. Hey, look at that. Yeah. Thought I'd throw you a bone there, but it does make sense. Uh, Next question. What uh, New Year's resolution? Now, this is going to be so... uh, so contentious, just like that first question. What New Year's resolution have you <laughs> made that you're most proud of keeping? If you don't do New Year's resolutions, why not? Um, I'm not a huge New Year's resolution guy, just because um, even when it comes to myself, I like to under-promise and over-deliver. <laughs> right. um, I guess the one I would say that I, that I did do that I'm proud of was you know, several years ago when I just, I got to stop being 400 pounds, right? And committed to doing something about that and did. So I would say that, but most of the time I'm not a huge New Year's resolution guy. I mean, uh, I eat way too much sugar over the holidays and then do like a 30 day, this year it's 50 days because I'm just going to take it all the way to when we go to Universal. But I do a sugar fast to reset my body every January. Does that count as a resolution? I don't really count it as one. You know, I just kind of count it as a makeup for you know, what I indulged in before. So I'm not a big resolution guy, but there was a January several years ago. I'm like, I got to stop being 400 pounds. And so I did follow through on that. So I'll go with that one. I don't. And I wonder how many like practicing Catholics do because we we've got Lent. Yeah. And so, which is not, it's not the exact same thing, but it's a, that's our, you know, go into the desert and refocus time. So it's, I, that's kind of that's where I do a version of that. I'm not really a New Year's resolution guy because I feel like if something is important enough to 
uh, to do for an entire year and like have a starting date, it's probably better to start today instead of waiting for the new year hmm. to catch my d- drift. Yeah. Um, so I, I've never really made New Year's. Now, um, my wife and I did start doing this Bible reading plan uh, this year, so we're trying to stick to that. Uh, just to get in the word more often, but um, other than stuff like that, not not too much of a resolutions guy. Uh, final question. I don't know which one of these to ask. Let's do this one. Would you rather college football flip a switch and go back to the way things were 20 years ago? So no transfers or transfers were very rare. BCS system, no name, image, and likeness, or tweak the th- the way things are now. Go back. I would tweet things the way they are now. I couldn't stand the BCS, uh, but I, I would, I would, I, I think, um, I think the transfer portal needs to be regulated to some degree. There should be windows, okay, um, as opposed to a daily wild west of tampering and everything else. But I absolutely believe that the, there should be more play, players should be allowed more agency given the amount of money that is now being made with largely their uh, proprietary gifts compared to what was being made several years ago. Uh, We just took a process of seven computer algorithms programmed by different individuals that was entirely subjective called the BCS and came up with another subjective process of 13 individuals who don't have to be accountability or accountable on any level at all about how they reverse engineered. To me, I would not go back to the BCS. If we were going to, I would, I would, I would go back to the previous system. I love the idea of actually going back to when we had nine bowl games on New Year's Day and the sport was more regional and then there was regional claims and narratives. I'm totally That's fine the with that. Of my answer. But but I would not go back to the BCS. I would not do that. Um, but I would also, even if we did go back to the original system, I still think you've got to deal with the situation that the money involved here it far exceeds the value for a lot of these players of an education. And you've got and you've got to deal with that from an agency standpoint. So they're still going to have to th- provide something more, whether it's NIL or some level of um, player mobility that they didn't have in that era. But I do think overall that area era was superior to what we have now. Yeah, I just think we've we're creating more and more victims, fake victims, with this current system. I, I, yeah, I agree with that too. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the motivations behind this are not to bring capitalism to college sports for most of these people, but because these kids are largely victimized when they're not. I agree. All right, that'll do it for today's program. Back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.